Book Eleven, Chapter Two of Round the Block by John Belbooten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A posthumous secret. Go ahead, said Marcus, and Tipples, inserting his walking stick in a wide gap between two cogwheels, forced the strange machine apart. A large brass drum, upon which a small chain was loosely coiled, fell to the floor. The other portions were not disturbed. Marcus picked up the drum, and Tipples cast his unerring eye in among the new jumble of wheels and connecting levers that was brought to view. "'Can't make head or tail of it,' said he at length. "'Let me see that drum.' Marcus handed it to him. Tipples took it, like an expert, between a thumb and finger, and tapped it with his stick. It answered back with a muffled clink. "'It is hollow.' and contains some soft non-metallic substance. Ah, here we have it. And Tipples, unscrewing a nicely fitting cap from the drum, drew out a close roll of paper. He unfolded it with trembling fingers. The upper portion of the paper was covered with neatly drawn diagrams, which bore some semblance to the machine. Beneath, in the fine copper-plate hand of the inventor, were these memorable words. Eliphalet Minford's original plan of perpetual motion, to which he has devoted his fortune and twenty years of labor, Perseverantia Winket Omnia, Christmas Day, 1850 blank. Then followed a careful technical description of the plan, and a mention of the fact that on two occasions the machine had moved. One occasion was the night of April tenth, eighteen forty blank, when the mass of wheels started with a sudden click, but stopped in three seconds by the clock. The other occasion was daybreak, December thirtieth, eighteen fifty blank, when the works began to move of their own accord, and did not stop for six seconds. This record had evidently been made by the inventor for his private reference and concealed in the brass drum for safe-keeping. Tiffles read with bated breath, and Marcus listened in astonishment. "'What do you think of it?' asked Marcus. "'I think,' replied Tiffles, with every respect for the memory of the inventor, that he was insane. Perpetual motion, without an exhaustive power, or, in other words, the eternal motion of a thing by its own inherent properties, is a simple impossibility. To cite familiar illustrations of its absurdity, you might as well try to lift yourself by the straps of your boots, or pour a quart into a pint pot. I wasted six months on perpetual motion when I was a boy, and gave it up. Every inventive genius bothers his head with this nonsensical problem, till he learns that he is a fool. Of course, I say this with every possible regard for your deceased friend. He was insane on this point, quo ad hoc, as the lawyers have it, without question, or he would not have thrown away twenty years on it, or twenty-three years, I should say, since the paper is dated, you observe, three years ago. But Mr. Minford says in that document that the machine moved twice. He could have no object in deceiving himself. 
You are wrong there, my friend. Inventors are continually deceiving themselves. Their judgment, their very eyesight, becomes worthless in respect to subjects upon which they have labored long and hoped ardently. This machine has evidently been greatly altered from the original plan in the progress of its construction. You observe that these weights do not appear on the diagrams. They were an afterthought, recently put on, I should judge, from the appearance of the cords which hold them. Anybody can see, as I said before, that the weights would move the works spasmodically, so to speak. But this motion cannot be what he alludes to as having taken place on two occasions. Of course, I can't explain what caused the motion on those occasions. If it were a real motion, and not a fantasy of the inventor's brain, but I'll bet my life that any intelligent mechanic could have fully explained it to Mr. Minford at the time. But mark you, Mr. Minford would never have accepted the explanation. Inventors never take advice. So then you are satisfied that this machine is of no value to Miss Minford, except for old brass? Oh, I don't say that. Mr. Minford, aside from this absurd crotchet, may have possessed real mechanical genius. Let me see if some part of it may not be good for something besides perpetual motion. Wesley Tiffles peered down among the brazen and steel complexities again. Sure enough, here it is, said he, a splendid window fastener. I don't see any window fastener, exclaimed Marcus, looking in the direction of his friend's forefinger. There, that cam with the small spring and lever attached, strength and simplicity combined. I have studied the subject of window fasteners, in fact have invented three or four, which possessed the extraordinary property of never letting the window up or down when you wanted to move it. I recognize in this window fastener my ideal. Marcus, you must patent it for Miss Minford. It will be a sure fortune for her. I'll make the drawings and specifications. Marcus, sadly happy in the thought of rendering any service to that young lady, readily chimed in with Tiffle's views, and said that the patent should be obtained as soon as might be. It was then agreed that Tiffle's should call on Mrs. Crull on the following day, and inform Miss Minford of the important discoveries which had been made by him, not mentioning the name of Marcus Wilkeson and should also offer to remove and dispose of the neglected furniture. As this conclusion was arrived at, the door opened suddenly. The old lady, being apprehensive from the long stay of the two visitors, that they were ransacking the rooms and hiding portable articles about their persons, had overcome her superstitious antipathy, and opened the door quickly, so that she might catch them in the act but they were only standing in the middle of the room, earnestly talking to each other. The old lady muttered an inaudible apology, and the two friends hastened to take their departure. End of Book 11, Chapter 2